Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today. I so appreciate you. So grateful for the time that we get to spend together as we learn together how to thrive, how we learn how to be able to take our life and really truly master it. You know, here's the thing, and I've said this many times before, when it comes to the race of your life, the only person who's going to break the tape, cross the line, and be the victor of the race of your life is you. Now the question becomes, do we just want to get through or do we want to master our own life? Do we want to take what we are, who we are, and do it to our fullest? No matter what the cost of that is, maybe we know something and maybe we have to speak out and tell about something that could cost us but is worth it for people to know. Maybe we need to take our minds and develop it. All of these are strategies to help us just purely master our own life. And I have three really great guests with you today with amazing messages that I am so excited to share with you that will really help you be able to find life mastery in what you do and be able to put all of yourself into it, no matter how difficult it might get. I really love the concept of that. And that really is, more than anything else, what it means to be a thriving entrepreneur, to simply live your life with mastery, to live full out no matter what the cost, to be the best version of who you are while it's called today. With that said, let's jump right in to our very first guest. Join me in welcoming Chris Rydell. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing just great, Steve. How are you? I am good, thank you. So tell us first, before we get into your book, a little bit about you and your background. Um, I'm a serial healthcare entrepreneur, having found, founded five companies and serving as the CEO and chairman of all of them. And your book is called Blood Money. Tell us a little bit about the background that led up to uh, writing the book. Sure. When I founded my fourth company, Hunter Laboratories, in 2003, um, <clears throat> my sales reps came to me. This was after we had invested a lot of money for a beautiful state-of-the-art lab, hired 150 employees. And my sales reps came to me and said, Chris, uh, doctors don't like the services of Quest and Laboratory Corporation America, the two largest labs in America, dubbed by Wall Street as the Blood Brothers. They say they hate their services, but they get these very cheap prices directly billed to the doctor. And then Quest and LabCorp make their profits by billing Medicare, Medicaid, insurance companies a much higher price. And so they said, unless you're willing to match those, we're just not going to be able to grow. So I contacted our regulatory council and I asked, you know, if I match these, do I have any legal liability? And they said, oh, yeah. First of all, Medi-Cal is entitled to the lowest charge of any payer. And it's not being, and I knew it was not being passed on. And secondly, uh, the below cost ones were clearly kickbacks. And so my choice was to either knowingly violate federal and state law, uh, shut down our business and write off most of our net worth and fire 150 people, or try to stop the practices. And that's what led to blood money. It's the story of the fight. So it's it's got more twists and turns than you can imagine. Oh, I bet. It's a true legal thriller. 
and a person's going to have to get the book to you know to read all of it and see all of it but uh give us a taste give us some you know just a little story out of the book well in the book are stories of attempted murder extortion money laundering uh ceos hiding money in their hiding gold in their backyard to keep it away from the, the department of justice and the people looking for it ceos hiding money in the cayman islands um, gosh a state assistant state of Attorney General torpedoing her own state's case, and a Florida governor torpedoing his own Attorney General's case. And these are all things that, like, oh, this can't be true, but they are. I so want to ask how the book ends, but that would be unfair to you because people need to read it to find out. But um, are you still in the medical field now? I retired uh, from owning a medical business in 2016, and I spend my time now uh, continuing with these whistleblower lawsuits to stop healthcare fraud, which keeps me pretty busy. And I recently agreed to be a consultant for a startup firm um, for direct-to-patient uh, testing. Now, I heard this. I could be totally wrong and feel free to tell me that I am, but I heard that the reason why cost of medical services is so high is directly related to Medi-Cal and, and ultimately Medicaid. Is that? Uh, Steve, I mean, Steve, the FBI estimated in 2011, a decade ago, that 234 billion was lost annually to healthcare fraud. That's a quarter of the Medicare budget. And last year, the Department of Justice proudly announced that it collected just 2.6 billion in fines and settlements and judgments, 1.3% of the estimated fraud. It's massive in this country. And we don't seem to be doing much about it except living with it. So is it safe to say then that if we took care of the problem, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but if we took care of the problem, we could all get better health coverage for less money? A lot less money. In fact, in part of uh, President Obama's uh, Affordable Care Act, they had planned on collecting $500 billion over 10 years in, in fraud, but they, and they really did anything about it. $500 billion, that's, you know, a really large sum of money. It is, it is. And the frustrating thing is in working with the U.S. attorneys in the Department of Justice and state attorney generals is they're far more concerned with affordable civil settlements than they are with prosecuting people and putting them in jail and stopping fraud. And until they change their mindset, the risk reward uh, calculation for fraudsters is too much more favorable. And a lot of drug mobsters are getting into it because uh, the risk, I mean, the rewards are still high the re and the risks are much lower. I'm just baffled with all of it. So, you know, I lived down in Southern California. I know you were at least up in Northern California at the time, but um, I mean, they always send you to either Quest or LabCorp. Is there even a third option anymore, really? There are smaller laboratories. Quest and LabCorp have very predatory uh, business practices. Their prices are so low, often below cost to attract physician clients that smaller labs just can't compete. And so they end up buying them on the cheap. And in, in no time, I think, we're basically gonna have two labs in this country. Unless the government does something about it, but they have no inclination to stop it. Quest has been busted 10 times for Medicare fraud. No one's been fired, no one lost their bonus. They paid generally 20 to 30 cents in the dollar and go on their merry way. Wow. 
So since you did at least allude to the fact that you're no longer running the company you used to run, did you sell it to Questor LabCorp? No, I sold it to the third largest laboratory in the country, Bioreference Labs. I mean, I, I assume so. I just, you know, curiosity got the better of me. Sure. I don't think they would want to talk to me. I'm, I'm like public enemy number one to those two labs. So what was the, um, what was the scariest thing you've gone through? Because, I mean, we've all seen the movies and stuff like that. Is it like it is in the movies? Is it yes. that real life it scary? It is. One of the reasons I wrote the book was so that potential whistleblowers would understand if they went ahead and filed a claim, their lives would never be the same. Many of them end up unemployable, bankrupt, and divorced. Because when the, when the defendants find out who filed the lawsuit, they do everything they can to destroy the whistleblower. Let's talk about the stuff that you can tell without you know ruining the end of the book. Um, what does life look for you look like for you on a personal level now? Well, uh, during the book. Um, we came within weeks of personal and financial bankruptcy. Our lives would have been over. We lost our house. It, it, you know, it was very hard to even sleep. It was only because of my wife's, uh, who she is, that we, she took over the business and we pulled through. Now, uh, we're doing very well. We're very happy and very proud to have uh, stood up for taxpayers. Since you brought it up a second ago, let's go back to what you were saying before about whistleblowers. So if a person wants to be a whistleblower, what is, you know, like the top couple of things they really should know before they do it? Steve, I have a whole chapter at the end of the book on quote rules for whistleblowers. There are things you can do to protect yourself. Uh, number one, the first thing I would do there's a cottage industry that sprung up of litigation financiers. And uh, these are people who will invest money uh, in a lawsuit and, um, and take a percentage of what may come. And for a whistleblower, you know, go to those people, lay out your case. If they don't like it, that probably means you'd have a very tough road to climb. If they do like it, and they'll invest anywhere from $5 million in you. They just basically give it to you. It's a non-recourse payment. And they're rolling the dice that uh, your case will um, prevail and they'll make a lot of money. So it's a great test of how strong your evidence is and then take that money and uh, set it aside because you've now got a cushion and you can't find a job. Mm. Wow. And the other thing, of course, is to immediately seek new employment because you're going to get fired. So you had mentioned your wife took over the company. So in some regards, you basically got fired, even though it was your own company. Well, I was still there, but I was just incapable of doing anything. It was so, times were so hard. I just, I couldn't get my mind off the financial tsunami that was coming. And she was our president. She was always there. Uh, and she was able to step up and manage the limited amounts of money that we have to keep the doors open. Hmm. Thank God for good wives. She's the smartest and best manager I have ever met. So if you could look back, you know, you go back to yourself either just before you started that company or right before you started the whole process of whistleblowing, would you do it again? Uh, I'm not sure I would start the laboratory again because by 2003, I'd been out of the industry for 10 years. Uh, the predatory practices of Quest and LabCorp had grown to such a level that it's, it's impossible for new labs to succeed. However, I'm, I'm really proud of taking the risk and standing up to these companies 
and fighting for taxpayers and stopping some of the practices. So I'm sure there's some of the listeners like myself that are wondering, you know, you can almost just feel like giving up and feel heartless. Is there anything that the average person can do to help with this issue, this problem? The real problem stems from the Department of Justice and their laissez-faire attitude toward taxpayers being scammed. And until they change that attitude, it's going to continue to pay and it's not going to stop. And I don't know how people can help there. Um, you know, I was hoping that the book would have some effect and maybe someone in Congress would call a hearing or I'd even get invited back to DOJ because my last chapter is nine simple things they can do that would have a remarkable improvement in reducing fraud. So the book is called Blood Money. Um, it's available, of course, on Amazon. Um, are there other places that people can get it or ways that you would prefer that for them to oh, connect vir Virtually them? any online bookstore has Blood Money. Um, Amazon, of course, is the biggest, but you can get it all over the place. Wherever you buy your books, you're going to find it. And what closing message would you like to leave the listeners with? Don't give up hope. You know, whatever challenges face you in life, just keep doing the best you can. And sometimes good things fall out of the sky. Do you get the book Blood Money by Chris Rydell? Chris, thank you so much for spending some time with us on the show here today. My pleasure, Steve. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. It is amazing to me when somebody takes their life and devotes it to the age-old concept of seeing something and saying something, to be dedicated to make the difference that only they can make in the world, and in so doing, living their life as a thriving entrepreneur. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we will be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Don't go away. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with steve it's risk-free it's guaranteed it's proven we've done it thousands of times what are you waiting for yes yourbestsellertoday.com this time next week you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve reach the people that you came to serve come on now what are you waiting for grab a pen here we go all you got to do is book a call yourbestsellertoday.com go to yourbestsellertoday.com Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. Let's jump right back into it as we learn the secrets of life mastery, as we begin to now look at how we can develop our mindset for success and power. Join me in welcoming Ambrose Brofield. Hey, Ambrose, how are you doing today? Absolutely outstanding, Steve. How are you doing? I am doing great, thanks. So first off, tell us just a little bit about who you are and how you show up in the world. Um, fantastic. Um, obviously, uh, Ambrose is quite a unique name. Uh, it's originally Greek origin. It actually comes from the, the word um, Ambrosia being the food of the Greek gods. So um, I guess my origin is in Europe, as you can possibly tell. I've got a British accent, uh, but I was raised in Switzerland, um, lived in France as well as the UK, uh, then Australia. And these days I'm in New Zealand. I love how much, especially people from England and stuff like that, 
move around and travel. They do so much more. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's because the United States is so large that we don't, but you guys travel internationally so much more than we do. Yeah, I think that's right, Steve. Uh, I guess my blessing growing up is my primary school was in Geneva, which is the home to the United Nations. So my school of 165, I, I think we had 60 nationalities amongst 165 children. So I was always inspired by both business, but also um, by the international flavor. So all I craved growing up was the ability to travel the world and work around the world. Well, I won't ask you which country is your favorite because just as sure as you do, that'll you know get the other countries upset. So we'll stay away from that discussion. <laughs> That's that's probably a, that's a probably a fair one, and I have different reasons for different countries. Yeah, absolutely. So, tell me a little bit about what you uh, do business wise. Yep. So we started in two thousand and four. Uh, my wife Joe and myself, um, and in the early days, we helped small businesses with their marketing strategies. Uh, but then we realized that if you've got a good marketing strategy, it often gives you inquiries or the opportunities to sell. Uh, but if you don't have the ability to close the sale or look after the customers you've got, you're never going to grow your business. So our main focus uh, through our main business, which is salesmasterycompany.com, is to help people have the skills and confidence uh, to sell and also to grow the client relationships they've got. Lately, sales has become somewhat of a dirty word. I mean, some of us, we've been in sales our whole lives, and so yes. we kind of love it. But <laughs> for others, um, what do you say to people who have that going into a negative opinion of sales and salespeople? I think that's a great question, Steve. Um, I, I find a lot of um, sort of smaller business owners in particular have a bit of a mental block around the topic of sales. Um, and I don't even think it's lately. I think that there's certain industries um, that get a bad rap for sales and, and they possibly give a, a bad indication of what sales is meant to be like and people get the wrong impression. I think uh, the used car um, sales dealers around the world, they get a bad rap, uh, but also uh, there's been some bad examples within it. So people blame sales and even in insurance trade uh, globally seems to, and, and real estate as well, you know, there's, there's such big extremes. I guess for me, I look at the fact that sales is service and every business on planet Earth is there to serve others. And it's impossible uh, to serve others without sales, meaning um, the exchange of sales is to understand what a customer wants and then to give them a solution to that need. And if we take that approach to sales, it tends to overcome the mental barrier of sales being a dirty word, as you said. Now, anybody that knows me knows that I often do not use the prompts that are given to me by the guest, but you had one in your prompts that I just have to ask you. And Go that's sales or marketing, which is more important? Love that question, Steve. Uh, as I said, since we started our business, we've helped small businesses worldwide with, with both sales and marketing strategies, although our main focus, as I mentioned, is more on sales. Um, that, that's an endless debate, and we have a lot of entrepreneurs asking that, and, and I've spoken at conferences around the world uh, in the pre-pandemic days um, on this subject. Um, the short answer has to be that both are critically important, um, and I guess my, my response to that is, unless you've got a marketing brand and an overall strategy, unless you understand what you stand for, then the sales team or the sales function has nothing to promote or nothing to promote against. Uh, but at the same time, if, if your marketing simply generates leads and inquiries, but the sales function or your sales team doesn't convert them into customers, then you also have no business. So I guess you're right um, to ask that question, Steve. We absolutely need both sales and marketing functions to exist, no matter how large or small your business is. I love the way my friend Errol Abramson always puts it. He says, nothing happens in your business until a sale is made. In other words, if you don't have any money coming into your business, you don't have a business. <laughs> I, I totally agree. In fact, Steve, the, the way I often explain it when we're coaching our customers worldwide is that essentially um, there are three legs to a business or three parts to a business. And the, the image I often describe is that my, my favorite item I inherited from my British grandparents um, was a 300-year-old milking stool. So this is a traditional farmhouse milking stool. And those really old wooden stools um, only ever had three legs. And you could go and go and operate your business. They're very flexible, very movable. And a business needs three legs. And one leg is sales and marketing. 
And that leg is responsible for making promises to customers. And unless you do that, you have no business, in my opinion. Um, and then the middle leg is the operations. That's the doing of your business. And that middle leg, its purpose is to deliver on the promises made by the first leg being sales and marketing. So the first leg makes promises. The middle leg is your business. That's what you do for a living. That's your products or your services. They deliver on the promises. And then the third leg is just as important, which is finance and admin and compliance and leadership and systems and software. That third leg essentially is there to make sure you're fully compliant and make sure they sweep up the mess created by the first two legs. Um, I hope you like that analogy. I do like that analogy. I was even going to go so far as to say, and then the uh, bench part, you know, the part that you actually sit on, that's actually having clients. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and I think you, you talked about the dirty word or the perception of the dirty word, Steve, on, on sales, but literally sales is service. You know, we, you know, every business on planet earth, whether they sell direct to consumer or business to business, like most of our customers do worldwide, or even into government sector or public sector, you know, they're there to serve someone. And unless you've got customers to serve, you don't have a business. Well, I think in the end, sales is a good litmus test of a person. Because if you are the kind of person who's gonna take good care of people, you're going to do well at sales. And if you're the kind of person who is just trying to get one over on somebody, you might make a little bit of money for a while, but you're not going to last. Uh, 100% Steve. And, and I think that's the, the short-termism versus long-termism view on business. Most entrepreneurs start a business or, or try to grow a business or buy a business to grow um, with the intention of being in business in the medium to long term. And no matter whether you're in a large uh, population base of say California as a state or US as a country or in a smaller country such as where we're based here in New Zealand where there's only 5 million people in the whole population, you are going to struggle to get repeat customers and word of mouth referrals if you rip people off or if you're too pushy or if you sell in a really hard manner and make people experience buyer remorse. So let's take a couple minutes and do a very small, you know, like what can you teach in two or three minutes? Teach us a foundational fundamental principle of being a good salesperson. Excellent, Steve. I think from, from my perspective, you know, a lot of people, the a wrong area of sales is they assume in sales, you need to have the ability to speak. And it's fundamentally wrong because customers, no matter what industry they're in, customers do not care about what you've got to say about your products or services unless they know you care about the outcomes they're going to get. You know, we are there to serve others. So the most important skill to learn in sales is the ability to listen actively which means you listen not just for what someone says, but you listen for how they say it and why they say it. And you have that inquisitive mind of a child to try to understand why someone's saying what they're saying. And in order to listen, you need to master the art of amazing questions because it's your amazing questions that steers or controls the conversation and gets people to open up and, and speak about their problems and speak about their challenges and speak about their wants. And then you step in to serve them. Only once you understand somebody's want or need, can you offer them a solution. So a lot of times people are afraid of what we call in sales objections. Yes. Um, what is your response to a person who says, yeah, but they are always saying, you know, these things negative about what I'm doing. How do you counterpoint that? Love that question. I was actually coaching somebody in Australia online yesterday about this exact point, Steve. Um, I guess my first thing is to say that if a customer raises an objection to you, at least they've done it to your face rather than behind your back. At least they've given you the opportunity to respond. In fact, someone raising an objection with you means they're engaged. They're, they're listening to what your offering is and they're thinking about it, which is what's giving rise to the objection. So the first thing is to have a positive mindset and to embrace it and go, well, great, this customer is clearly wanting to work with me. However, they've still got some concerns for me to overcome with them. And I really mean the word with them. I think that's really important. So first is to have a positive mindset. Um, the second thing is, is rather than pushing back against them, and I, I think that's where a lot of under-trained, under-coached people, whether they're an entrepreneur or salesperson, that, you know, they, their natural response when they get a pushback from the customer is to push back on the customer. And that's just going to create more of the same. So 
if someone gives you an objection and you push back with a, a swift pre-learned answer, nine times out of 10, you're gonna get a bigger objection with more forceful emotion behind it. And what we actually need to do is to slow down and when we receive an objection, ask them about that objection. So it would be, Steve might say, Ambrose, I like your sales training, but you're too expensive for my budget. And say, okay, so Steve, you know, what, what are you comparing it against? Or, you know, what makes you say you think it's expensive? What, you know, what's making you say that? And once you do that, it brings their guard down. It puts you in a position of showing you want to understand and respect the customer. And often what comes out of their mouth next is an objection you can now overcome. Because more often than not, they're going to explain it in a way that makes you go, actually, you know what? Compared to the gains you're going to get from this training or my services or my product, um, actually, the investment is lower. And, and that's to me, is about listening um, and then seeking to be understood with your response. My dad used to always say, there's a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth, so that you listen twice as much as you talk. <laughs> oh, he's a man out of my own heart, um, Steve. I totally agree with you. Um, I think over a lifetime, if we can do twice as much listening um, as we speak, um, then that's a good that's a good human life. We're going to also, I, I want to stress this for salespeople and entrepreneurs worldwide. When you're doing the listening, you're doing the learning, and you're doing the growing. And knowledge is power in business. And so if you do twice as much listening as speaking, you're going to do twice as much learning as everybody else around you. And that's doubly important. So for a person who is starting their business and they've never done sales before, what is like a step one? Like, you know, you started the brand new business. This is going to be your first sales call how would a person even start that out? Um, I, I guess a couple of key things, as you and I both know, Steve, live right now, we've got the Olympics on. And, you know, if I take a, a, a sporting analogy is be prepared. You know, no one shows up the Olympics and when they get there, starts their training. They do years and years of hard work in the case of Olympians. Um, the same goes for sales. So if you're going to make a cold call, um, you've typically identified somebody who's in, within your right target market. And ideally, you've thought about what sort of benefits that they might get from your product or your service. You've thought about how you can serve them short term or long term. And then you start thinking about, OK, so what questions am I going to ask to understand this customer, to understand this potential prospect? You know, what do I need to find out and what do I need to help them realize before I present my solution to them? I think a lot of people starting out, Steve, they they prepare a lot of facts and figures about their own business, their own product and their own services. And customers don't care about you. They don't care about your product. They don't care about your, your services. They care about their own situation, their family, their business, their department. They care about the outcomes they're looking for. So think about who you're calling. Think about the questions you're going to ask and write them down. And if you need to read out those questions as you do, Steve, for your podcast, I know you go off the cuff a lot, uh, which is one of your amazing skills and gifts. But for a lot of people, if you're nervous, write down the questions, read them out word for word. Customers do not switch off if you're asking them an intelligent question. In fact, they, they love it. They love giving their opinion. Mm. Never be afraid to engage with people. In fact, you said earlier, and I'd like to reiterate it, People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. One hundred percent. And that's universal. Um, Steve, uh, our customers, um, even pre-pandemic, um, we're in over 20 countries worldwide across six continents. And no matter which sector and industry we're training and coaching into, they have the same philosophy. Customers want to be heard. Uh, customers want to be respected. Customers love the sound of their own voice and customers want their problems solved or their dreams achieved. And that's universal globally, no matter how many thousands of businesses we train and coach, um, that's a universal system. So Ambrose, if a person wants to work further with you, um, how could they get in contact with you? Um, that, that's a great question. I, I think there's two ways. Um, Steve, if they can spell the name Ambrose, which is A-M-B and then Rose like the flower, um, and they were to find me on LinkedIn, Ambrose Blowfield. Um, that's one easy way. Uh, the alternative is to go onto our website, which is salesmasterycompany.com. And if they put in forward slash podcast, we've actually got a free tool there uh, to help them grow their business for free. Giving is one of our core values, Steve. So um, if they go to salesmasterycompany.com forward slash podcast, 
um, then they'll access a free tool to help them grow their business straight away. Mm, I love that. And do you have any closing words for us before we uh, conclude today? Um, really, the biggest thing is really around the importance of mindset, whether it's in sales or entrepreneurship. Um, it is a tough game, entrepreneurship. You know, you don't have to be in business for more than about six weeks without realizing you're going to put in more hours into it. So regardless of your business, you know, find passion in what you do. Um, either love the customers you serve, love the sector that you're in, love the product that you supply, or love the services you deliver. You know, for me, I love helping people grow, individuals grow, whether they're the entrepreneur or the salesperson. Um, and so my passion hopefully comes across in everything I do, every course I write, every coaching session I run. Um, so find your passion and then you'll be prepared to put in the long hours it takes to be successful in life, in business, in sport, in anything. I love it. Well, Ambrose, thanks so much for being with us here on the show today. Bless you, Steve. Thank you so much for the opportunity. No matter where you go in this world, one thing remains true, and that's that you have to develop your mind to have the right mindset to be able to really, truly live a life of mastery. I hope that you're working on that. I hope you got some really great tricks and tips out of this last interview. We are going to take another quick commercial break, and then we will be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Don't go away. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with steve it's risk-free it's guaranteed it's proven we've done it thousands of times what are you waiting for yes yourbestsellertoday.com this time next week you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve reach the people that you came to serve come on now what are you waiting for grab a pen here we go all you got to do is book a call yourbestsellertoday.com go to yourbestsellertoday.com Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about life mastery. It would not be complete without bringing on somebody who is an absolute master at teaching life mastery. And with that, I'm just going to jump right into our next guest. Join me in welcoming Sherry Fernandez. Hey, Sherry, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Steve? I am doing great. Thanks for asking. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Well, um, right now, in, in my life now, I'm a uh, coach, author, mentor. <laughs> I've been for years, even before it became so stylish. Um, I've been doing that for a long time. Uh, now we're retired. So I kind of, I do what I want to do and as much of it as I want to do. And so what I, I just feel like I have this wealth of knowledge. I want to get out and share it in the world before I get too old. <laughs> and this rate is happening fast. So um, came, you know, rags to riches story really um, started with nothing and found the way to make things happen for myself. And now I've been sharing the secret, and it's not really a secret, uh, to how to do that for the last few decades. So your specialty is life mastery. Um, give us a basic definition in your opinion, what life mastery is. That's being having control of all the areas of your life, like being able to develop yourself in every area and have not perfection, obviously, because we're not going to reach that in this life and not getting to some magic place, but to have um, mastery over my physical appetites and to work out and to, you know, eat well and have mastery over my finances and to behave well in my relationships and know how to develop my relationships and design my life. And so life doesn't just happen to you. It, you, you design a life instead of just so many people day after day, they do the same things. And then 
one day you're old and nothing happened, right? You're still waiting for some magic thing to happen. It's not going to happen. You have to get out and design your own life. Mm, that is so powerful. So, you know, it's not, a, it's not like there's a how to design your life class in school. So you have to kind of learn it after you get out of school. <laughs> no, there is not. Um, how do we design our life? Well, you know, uh, we talk a lot about goal setting and we try to teach some of those things. I think you design your life by deciding what you want and then having a plan and a system to get to it. What lacks in, in most people's progress is not the desire typically, or even knowing how to set a goal. I think there's a lot of talk about that. I mean, some people don't know that either, but I think most people have a good idea of how to set a goal, but what they don't have is systems. If you have a good system, you can make things happen. And uh, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road and where I, I come in is, is helping people define what they want. Of course, any good coach or mentor though can do that, but to have a system to actually go from where you are to where you want to be. And it's, you know, I'm, it, it's a, I think it's exciting. I think personal progress is addictive. The more you grow, the more you want to grow. I think that was fun. What else can I do? But it's also a lot of day-to-day -day kind of mundane work sometimes. And you just hang in there, keep working the systems until one day you say, look where I've gone. Look how I've done. Look how far I've come. I like that progress can be addictive. Um, what is it, do you think, that holds people then back from you know, from starting even? Uh, I think a couple of things. I think number, well, it was number one or two, but one thing is not knowing what to do. When I started on my journey, I was attending a lot of motivation events and reading lots of books. And I kept thinking, okay, okay, but tell me what to do. You know, I, I get it. I get it. Uh, I even understand what I'm, what I might do. I just don't know how to get started. So I think there's a lot of people just don't know where to start. And so you, if you don't know where to start, you just day after day you go you just don't do anything because uh you just didn't know how to start it that's one thing and then I, I think the other thing that holds people back is thinking that they can't or that they don't deserve it that they either can't do it or they don't deserve it or successes for other people so some mindset i believe holds people back i had nothing i just had so little we and my husband and i both and we just were like nothing like poor <laughs> we just really had nothing but i really believed i sincerely believed i could get it all and I deserved it. Not that I deserved it like I was, you know, like I did anything particularly special, but I just felt like I was, uh, as any human being, if any human being deserved it, then why not me? And so I, those two things helped me be successful. I hope I do that for my clients. I hope they make them feel like they can be successful. And of course I give them the systems. I teach them the systems. Sure. Do you work with a lot of people that when they're starting off initially, they have a lot of self-doubt and disbelief that they can't okay. even do it? Yes, I start with people. And the first things we do is, while we're trying to figure out what they want, I usually have them start with what I call a big dreams list. What are some great things you would do? And I don't let them think, oh, I'll never be able to afford that. They can't, that doesn't count. You know, not money aside, we're placing society, relationships aside. If you could do anything you want in the world, what you would you do? And we start a list. And I, I, I like them to have 50 items on their list. And it's hard. They struggle getting 50 items. Of course, the more they think and they let themselves be open to the idea that they can have anything they want, then they start getting more items on their list. But initially, it's hard to hard going to get to put things on that list. They'll think, I can't afford that. Or, you know, I don't have a, uh, maybe the skills to do that thing, or I'm not smart enough, or I don't have a, I need a partner, and I'm a partner, whatever it is. But once they start dreaming and seeing the possibilities, it starts opening up their mind to other things, more practical things that they can do too. What is it about life that makes us feel less than? I mean, you, you never run into a little kid that, you know, says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be broken, poor, and disbelieve in myself, you know, <laughs> but yet by the time we're, and I won't put an age because I think it's different for others, but, um, you know, by the time we're whatever age, now we have this uh, self, lack of self-worth that doesn't believe in ourselves at all. When does that change? Uh, such a good question. You know, I've worked a lot with uh, young adults. 
and for years I worked with young adults. And you take any group of um, regular functioning to high functioning young adults, mine were all high functioning, and you ask them what they want, what kind of relationship do you want when you get married, if they're not already married, or, or if they are married, what kind of relationship do you want? What kind of money do you want? What kind of career do you want? I mean, they want the best of everything. And then 10 years goes by and what happened, you know? Um, I'm not really sure, Steve, maybe you know. I don't know what happens. I don't know why so, some people really want success and they go after it, why some people don't. Um, Jim Rohn said it's the mysteries of the mind. I don't know if there's an answer to that. If you have one, I'd sure like to hear it because I'm baffled. I'm but why doesn't everybody want everything? If there's enough for everybody, why doesn't everybody want it and go after it? I don't know. Statistically, you know how, what percentage of the people actually design their own life statistically? About 5%. 100% of those young people wanted all the good things in life. Only 5% actually design their own life and find a well-rounded success in all, mastery in all those areas. Interesting, isn't it? It is very interesting because it just, I mean, like you said, somewhere in there, we allow that shift, you know, and, and then we go from this happy bubbly kid to this shiftless, aimless adult, you know, <laughs> I was not that bad. <laughs> well, mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, do you give people credit? I mean, the people do amazing things. Like I, I have been so amazed at I'll have a client, I mean, like when I owned my fitness business, a lot of my clients came from the fitness side of it. And they, we had a fitness side and then a personal development side. So from fit meaning to fit life. And so I would already know them uh, quite a bit, you know, seen them or working out, chatted with them in the halls or whatever. And then they'd be in my office and I would find out about the things that, the pains that they've had, the heartaches that they've had, the struggles they have. And I think, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that you have come so far with that kind of weight you know, that kind of a burden. Um, and so people do do amazing things. I mean, all the time, people never cease to amaze me. I just think people are crazy uh, um, awesome. But to actually design your own life, not too many people do that. But they do do great things. I don't want to say everybody, the other 95% are all failures. <laughs> that would be rude. Yeah, for sure. So let's, uh, let's dig into it. Um, you know, if I was a client and... Um, I came to you, you know, with, with, with the down attitude about myself, how are you going to start out with me? How are you going to even introduce the concept of possibility back into my life? Um, if there was a client, um, I would have to examine that a little bit closer. If that was, that was very deep, I would probably not take that client because there's some other work that needs to be done, probably counseling. But if it's just normal kind of discouragement and thinking. Uh, and I, I just I just had a client contact me earlier today saying, I'm really struggling here. I know with my worth and knowing if I'm worth this progress I'm making. Uh, the One of the skills that I teach is what we call daily written affirmations. And so you're probably familiar with affirmations, but when you write them in the way I, I describe every single day, they're the same ones, right? They really work magic in your mind, in your heart, in your life. So I would start with affirmations and maybe a little bit of recommended reading uh, to help people change their mindset. Interesting story. I think you might find this interesting talking about this part of human beings. But when I had my fitness business, we would do these uh, challenges, 90 day challenges. We do them three times a year and we gave they went way big prizes and we provide all the tools, all the nutrition information. We had guidance. We had the classes. We had, we had a little workbook they could do. We really provide a lot of, of help and people were very successful. Almost every nine weeks, every, every time, I mean, 12 weeks, 90 days that we did this, I would have, we'd see somebody and they'd just rock in it. They'd be like killing it. They're getting all kinds of results. I can't believe the changes in them. They're just, and they're on fire and their enthusiasm, everything. Like you think, man, this person is going to win for sure. And then every time one of those people almost without fail, drops out two or three weeks before the end. They were on, they were on track to win, win the cruise, win the money, and then they quit. That's an interesting psychology, isn't it? It really is. Have you, have you ever asked any of them, why did you stop? Oh, yes. <laughs> what do they say? I'm so curious. Oh, I got busy. You know, they, they don't see it. I think once in a while I end up with a client that I'm working with long-term, not in that particular environment, but long-term, they might have some failures and we'll talk about it and then they can see it. It's almost always that they, they were scared. 
people are way more afraid of being successful than they are of failing. I don't know why that is. I guess we're afraid that more will be asked of us or we'll be able to maintain it or we won't know what to do with it. I'm not sure, but I know this to be true and I didn't come up with this myself. I'm not the first to have said that, but I know it's true. People are way more afraid of being successful than they are failing. That might be a really great question for the listeners. What are you the most afraid of right now? Yeah. Then one skill of facing your fears. If you can be a person who faces your fears and make that sort of a habit, like you have to know what you're thinking. You have to stop and examine what's going on in your head. What am I doing? What's really going on here? Oh, I'm afraid. Okay. When I'm afraid, that's a good affirmation too, by the way, I face my fears. Um, once you kind of get in the habit of doing that, even that can be a little addictive you're like whoa that wasn't so hard and pretty soon it's like give me another one <laughs> give me something else to be afraid of and I'll, I'll conquer that one too but yeah if you can look at it and recognize it as fear of, of success that makes you feel kind of weird like I'm afraid of success I don't want to be that person so seeing it helps and a, a good coach or a good mentor which are hard to come by <laughs> I'm good <laughs> but if you can find a good coach or good mentor that can see that uh, they can really help you a lot most don't have enough experience to do that. But if you can find a good one, it's really helpful to work through that. So let's teach the people just a real introductory. Um, you know, you used I will face my fears or whatever. Give us a basic mantra um, or affirmation and uh, how we can and should use that. Okay, good question. I'm glad you asked. It's one of my favorite things. I teach two skills. One's what we do and how to take how to track that you know the th daily things and the other one is how to change how we are and affirmations are the best for that um so if you take an affirmation write it in positive language which when i say i face my fear is not the best example because you've got the word fear in there so you might say i am brave i don't know but try to do it in a positive language powerful language and i like my clients to have at least six somewhere between six and ten good strong affirmations and then write them every day, just every day, you have a notebook or I do it in my planner on my, I plan my day on one page, I write my affirmations on the other. We're working on a planner for Black Mastery that has places for all this, but every day you write it. Um, some of mine are, this one just, I just did recently and I was feeling, why am I kind of, my life is awesome. But I was feeling kind of down and I added, I am positive and optimistic. My very first one and, and almost instantly within a day or two, I was, positive and optimistic. So I am positive and optimistic. I am cheerful. I listen with intent. I keep my conversations positive. I speak well of others. Anything that you want to change in yourself that is not measurable is a great affirmation. Standing in the mirror and saying, gosh, I'm great. It's not really going to get you very far. It has to be something more specific, something powerful, something of your own, not something that someone's not a guided affirmation somebody else wrote for you. Don't write your own because the language is important. The words are important that you use. They have to be powerful for you. And you used a really important word in there, write your own, meaning physically actually write them down. Physically write, not, not, not type them on your computer or into your phone. It doesn't work as well. And if you can do that thing, this is all described in my book, of course, in the, in the third section and how, but um, if you can write it with a pencil or pen every single day and you do that, you can't miss. I mean, you can miss and start over again. I mean, I'll start over again. If you better to do it again than if you miss, but if you can do that really consistently, it only takes, once you get them written the first time, it only takes a minute to do it. If you do that first thing in the day, morning, every single morning, uh, you just can, you'll be amazed at the difference it can make in your life. I would really challenge the, the, the listeners to try it. Just try that. It was like magic for me. I, I described this in the book, but um, I learned this, the basic principle. I've kind of um, polished it up a little bit from Brian Tracy. And we were listening, we came back from Las Vegas and listening. Brian Tracy, who I love his stuff, but he's, he's kind of dry to listen to. <laughs> anyway, he knows that probably. But anyway, I was kind of bored. And then he started talking about this. And I thought, it just spoke to me. I thought, I'm going to do that. And a couple of weeks later, I just, I had something I was working on. I felt really bad about it. I don't usually share because I'm kind of embarrassed about it, but it was something I'd been working on for years, even ended friendships because, okay, it was gossip. It was gossip. I even ended friendships because I couldn't get over this bad habit. And within a couple of weeks, I had my, I had mastery 
of that bad habit. And I felt so happy. And that's, that's when the turning point for me, when I realized that it's personal development moving forward that makes us happy. Everything else is just appendages to that. They make us happy because they make us a better person. But when we become better, we're happier. Mm. And that writing affirmations is what taught me that. That's awesome. And your book is called Life Mastery. Yeah, Life Mastery. Personal progression towards an infinite potential. And you can get that on Amazon. Looks like it's available. Amazon and on our website as well. You can autograph a copy on our website. Uh, It might not... I think it's up. It, it might be down for the weekend. It'll be up on Monday. You can get autographed copies from us or you can get it on Amazon, of course, anytime. I think and, it might be sell right now. And I don't know how Amazon determines that. Maybe somebody can write to me and tell me, but I think it's on sale right now on Amazon, the hard, hardback. And uh, give us your URL. How can we get in contact with you? Uh, we can get contact with me on the website, which is lifemasteryinfo.com. LifeMasteryInfo.com. Of course, uh, we have a Facebook page, Life Mastery Mentors. I'm on Facebook. I'm really easy to find, and I'm good to be responsive. You didn't hear back from me. I didn't get your message. Well, Sherry, that's great stuff. I hope people will get your book, go to your website, and get to know you better and go deeper with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you spending some time with us here on the show today. Thank you, Steve. It's nice to be here. Thanks for giving me a chance to share what I love. I hope you feel empowered, strong, confident, or at least like you have a few tips of how you can begin really taking up the challenge of living your life in total mastery, living your life to its absolute fullest, to be the best you that you can possibly be in this world, because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose, and the world, oh, the world needs you. I, for one, am so grateful you exist, and on behalf of the whole of the universe, let me be the one to tell you thank you for living your life to its fullest, to mastering you, to being the best version of you that you can be in this world, whether it be exposing injustices that you see or helping others or developing your own mind, that you live a life of absolute mastery of you, that you not only just finish the race of your life, but you win it, that you're the glorious victor. And to the victor, of course, goes the crown. I'm so excited for this times we get to spend together. I do hope that you've learned some really great tricks today, some tips, some things that'll help you up-level yourself as you live your life with the intent of being not just an okay get-byer, but a thriving entrepreneur. I'm so excited for our time that we get together. Thank you so much for spending this time here with me today. If there's ever anything I can do for you, please feel free to go to AskSteveKid.com, schedule a time. I'd love to help you out and talk. Thanks so much for being here with me. Thank you for who you are and what you do in the world as you live a life of mastery. Until next time, have a great Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. who's on a mission stand out with your brand out (laughs) check this out guys yep everything's marketing and marketing is everything your existing book can become a best-selling book or even hey like mine a number one international best-selling book in five days listen if your business isn't known by everybody it's obscurity and that's death right the same thing is true for your book if you're not happy with the way your book is performing you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling Go to yourbestsellertoday.com, schedule a talk with Steve,
believe. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. You